0: With that said, if you'd open up your Bibles now with me to the book of Romans, the book of Romans chapter 12, we'll be picking up in verse nine this morning with a message entitled Christian Virtues, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse nine, if you'd follow along with me this morning, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, give preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, steadfast in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for your word and we realize, Lord, that these virtues that are found, Lord, are seen certainly in the person of Christ and we want them to be visible in our own lives. So teach us today what it is, Lord, to walk with you, to live for you, that people would see Jesus in us, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Within the first 11 chapters of this epistle to the Romans, you know that the Apostle Paul has presented some of the most profound doctrines of the Christian faith. He revealed our destitute condition before Christ, that we were lost, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. And then he revealed the saving work of Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection, his work on the cross, and how he has provided for us salvation, redemption, And justification by faith. But when you come to the 12th chapter, Paul now exhorts and encourages us how to live in light of what Jesus has done. How do we take this doctrinal information that we have been given and apply it practically within our lives? He began by telling us that as believers, we're to present ourselves as living sacrifices unto the Lord, holy, acceptable, that it's our reasonable service. And we're not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then he informed us that we're part of a body, the church, the body of Christ, And that each one of us has different giftings that God has distributed to us, and he desires that we would use those giftings ultimately for his glory. And as you come now to the close of this chapter, we are presented with over 20 exhortations in less than... 80 Greek words on how to love others in a tangible way and how Christians are to live within this world. And the truth is, as you read through these exhortations in chapter 12, it's as if the word of God serves as a mirror. You look into the mirror of God's word and you see your reflection of Christian character. You see a work that's in progress, what God has done, but you also realize there's more work That needs to be done. The Bible says that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And it is important when we read exhortations like this, that we're not just hearers of the word, but we're also doers of the word. In fact, James speaks of this very clearly in James chapter one, when he says in verse 23, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man that observes his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, but he goes away and he immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one is blessed in what he does. And so this morning, we're going to look into the mirror of the word of God. We're going to see our reflection. We're going to see that... Lord, there's some work that you still need to do, and we don't need to be condemned by it, but we realize that God's not done with us yet. And so as a Christian, what does it look like to be a believer in this world? Well, first of all, in verse nine, if you're taking notes, we are to love in sincerity. It says here in verse nine, let love be without hypocrisy. The word used for love here is the word agape. And it refers to the unconditional, sacrificial, supernatural love of God. It's the quality of love that God is within his character. God is agape. He is love. And this is also the love that God not only is, but that God demonstrates for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The apostle Paul used this word agape in this epistle, first of all, to describe God's love for us. But now he uses this same word and he applies it that we are to express this love to one another. You remember Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22 by a lawyer, he said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What's most important? Another way of saying it. And Jesus responded. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. But then he said the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus summed up the Old Testament in a sense by saying love God and love other people the way you love yourself. If, if we applied these two things right here, loving God with everything that's within us and loving other people like we love ourselves, what a difference it would make within this world. Jesus would later on say to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. The apostle Paul, in more than one of his epistles, and he, he wrote somewhere around one-third of the New Testament, often encouraged the churches that he planted to love one another. We're going to see in the very next chapter, next time, in Romans thirteen eight. this is what he said. He said, oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. In writing to the Galatians, he said in Galatians chapter five, verse 22, that the fruit of the spirit is love. And then in first Thessalonians, he exhorted the church there in the third chapter. He said, may the Lord God make you increase and abound in love to one another, just as we do to you. Peter also exhorted the church that he wrote to, a church that was suffering and struggling. He said to them in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And then finally, the apostle John, who was known as the apostle of love. He said in 1 John chapter 3, we know that we've passed from death to life Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. So here you have this love that Jesus spoke of, this love that Jesus demonstrated, the love that Paul wrote about, that Peter and John exhorted the churches to apply. It's a kind of love that minuses hypocrisy. There's no hypocrisy. There's only sincerity. And the word hypocrisy simply means a play actor. It means somebody who pretends to love someone else. They, they love in word only, but they don't love in action. But love that is agape is not only something that is said, but it is something that is demonstrated. And folks, this is the kind of love that the body of Christ needs. The love of Christ. Jesus said, this is how the world's gonna know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. And the, the question is, do we love one another? Do we only love those people that love us? Do we... Do we feign love for one another, or do we really love one another? Is it with sincerity? Because it should be. I think of those in Scripture as examples who did not love in sincerity. One example to me would be that of Judas. He was with Jesus everywhere that Jesus went, but he didn't love in sincerity. I also think of one of Paul's associates, whose name was Demas, a fellow laborer who later on, Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Folks, listen, one of the virtues that needs to be seen in the child of God is love. It's love. And this is something that the Spirit of God does within us. As we yield to the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit is love. So the first thing, love in sincerity. But a second characteristic or virtue that is to mark the child of God is that we are not only to love in sincerity, but to live morally. It says here, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah declared in Isaiah chapter five in verse 20, he said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. How applicable this is even to us today in our own culture. We find people calling that which is good evil and that which is evil good. But as believers, we are to abhor what is evil, that which is morally reprehensible or sinful. And to abhor something means to withdraw from it, to stay away from it, to have nothing to do with it. Sometimes in the church, we find it easy to be critical of the world and its evil practices, and we should abhor it. That's what the Bible says. But at the same time, how can we, as a church of Jesus Christ, point out and disapprove of that which the world engages in if we're practicing the exact same thing? There has to be a difference within the church, from the world, but today we're finding that so much of the world is influencing the church and much of the church is becoming increasingly liberal. Increasingly liberal. And allowing these things to make their way into, and I'm not talking politically here, by the way, although that's a whole nother subject. Someone said, if you don't wanna buy any Christmas gifts for your family uh, at Thanksgiving, just bring up politics and then you'll save yourself money. It's terrible thought. I'm not talking about politics here. I'm talking about sinful practices that are being embraced and accepted within the church. In Psalm 34, we're exhorted to depart from evil and do good. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter three, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It says in first Peter chapter two, verse 11, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Folks, as a Christian living in an immoral world, we're to live moral lives, have a walk that is worthy of Jesus Christ. I think of the Old Testament example of Daniel coming into idolatrous, immoral Babylon as a young man. And it says that when he came into Babylon, that he had purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with the delicacies of the pagan king. That's the same resolve and determination that we need to have as children of God in this world. We are definitely in this world, but we're not of this world. There has to be some kind of difference. And one of the ways in which that is seen is if we are living moral lives. We abhor what is evil. We turn from what is evil. The problem is in many ways we've become so desensitized and the lines are so blurred. We can't discern between what is evil and what is right. So how are we able to do that? That takes us back to Romans chapter 12 where it says not to be conformed to this world but, but have your mind renewed by the spirit of God. I need the proper mentality to see things come clearly. The danger is that we embrace the lie that the world presents us with. And the lie is this, that what the Bible says is sinful or wrong is actually okay and acceptable. And the world says if you disapprove of that, then you're unloving, you're hateful, you're judgmental, or you're intolerant. God is love. But just because God is love does not mean that he approves of those things that are evil. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 15, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. We're called to live upright, moral lives, not immoral. And one way in which we do that is we Not only abhor what is evil, but you'll notice in that same verse, it says we cling to what is good. And the word for cling there, it's that same word that's used of married couples. When it speaks of being glued together, the two shall become one. It's it's a similar word. It it means to be connected to, to unite with, to fasten yourself to that which is good. As you resist what is evil and you, you rather, you cling, you hold on to what is good. And you say, well, what is good? How am I able to discern what's good? Well, in Philippians chapter four, I believe that we have insight as to what heaven considers to be good. Here's what it says. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is anything, uh, any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's what's good right there. That's, that's the standard. The things which you learned and you received and you saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. That's what's good. In First Thessalonians, Paul said to the church, Examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from every form of evil. We ask ourselves the question in light of these first two exhortations Am I loving people sincerely? Am I loving them not because of what they can do for me, just because I have the love of Christ in my heart and and I'm loving sincerely. And the second question that we need to ask ourselves in light of these exhortations is this, are we living morally or have we fallen back into the immoral, desensitized, doesn't bother me, everybody's into it. So what's the big deal mentality? If that's the case, something needs to change within me. I need the Spirit of God to bring conviction. So you can grieve the Holy Spirit, you can resist the Holy Spirit, and you're not not even listening to what the Spirit is saying anymore. And so it's important that our ears are open. Are we living morally, or have we allowed things to come back in that look nothing like Jesus and need to be turned from, and rather to hold tightly to that which is good? A third aspect of this Christian virtue that we see here is that we are to lead selflessly, Look at what it says in verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. The word that Paul uses for affectionate is a word that speaks of a family kind of love, a love that you have between family members. Listen, folks, we are part of, although we don't all have the same last name, if you're a Christian, you're part of a family. It's a family of God. And thus we are to treat one another as brothers, as sisters in Christ, with respect, with honor. In fact, it says here, honor and give preference. And that word for preference means to take the lead, to lead the way and show genuine appreciation and admiration for fellow believers by putting them first preferring somebody before yourself. Again, this is not natural. The natural tendency is to prefer myself before anyone else, to put myself in the position of first rather than allow someone else to have that place. But in the body of Christ, this is something that is to be seen. These are Christ-like virtues, leading the way selflessly, preferring one another, giving preference. And this is something that doesn't just happen in the church, but it's also something that's to happen in the home. Are you preferring your husband, ladies? Men, are you preferring your wife before yourself? Are you placing their needs above your own? Do we live sacrificially? Do we lead by example in that way? Often trouble can start in the church or in homes when we are concerned with our rights, our privileges, my thing, my time, me time. Isn't that a popular phrase? What are you doing? Having some me time. Who, who, who started that? I don't know. But it's something that people are into. Just, it's, just a, it's just verbiage that we use. No, I'm just, hey, listen, I'm having some me time right now. I mean, it just sounds so selfish, doesn't it? But we say it. Listen, here's what the Bible says. Philippians chapter two, verse three. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Are we looking out only for our own interests, our own benefit?" Or do we model Christ-like virtues in that we seek to look out for others? We, we prefer others. We place others before ourselves. A great example of this in the Old Testament is seen in the relationship between Jonathan and David. You remember Jonathan was the son of King Saul. He was the heir apparent. He was the one that could have been next in line for the throne. However, Jonathan recognized that David actually had a calling upon his life. And so he gave to David his armor, his sword, his basically position. He realized that David was made for the throne and he gladly stepped aside and preferred his friend because he recognized the calling that he had. Just a beautiful demonstration of preferring other people, putting other people's needs before yourself. We tend to have a very, in our natural, fleshly, bent to be consumed with self. Narcissism reigns in so many places, but not in the kingdom of God. It's to be selfless. It's to follow the example of Jesus. Greater love has no man than this than he lay down his life for his friends. Are we leading selflessly? This is a question we must ask ourselves. But then a fourth thing how about this? Serving enthusiastically. Serving the Lord enthusiastically. It says in verse 11, not lagging. I like that word. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord enthusiastically. Not, oh man, do they need help down there again? <sighs> So tired of it. Like, can't they get some people to serve? (laughs) Why can't, you know, here am I, send somebody else. I mean, I don't want to do this. The greatest in the kingdom are those that serve me. This is not not what the Bible says. It says the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And and having, not lagging, that word lagging means shrinking from, hesitating, oh no, not, I mean, just feeling like, listen, don't lag, don't be a lagger engage in something worthwhile, have some diligence, hasten, fervency in serving the Lord. The, the word fervent means being brought to a boil. There, there should be a grand amount of intensity and fervency when it comes to serving the Lord. Like we shouldn't have to be like coerced, bribed, manipulated pictures on the board of we really, I mean, we should be able to just, there's a need. I'm in it. I'm whatever it is. I'm just going to serve the Lord. That's something that, that if there's ever a model that that was, or an example that was given as related to the character of Christ, it was, he was a servant. He was a servant. And as much as the disciples who walked with him had to be exhorted to serve, how much more do I need to be exhorted to serve, to serve other people? And to do it enthusiastically, to do it joyfully. It's a privilege to serve the Lord in any capacity. Whether there's a few people or there's thousands of people, it doesn't matter. What matters is doing doing it as unto the Lord. The question is, do you serve the Lord enthusiastically or are you a lagger? That's the only question you could answer. But I was thinking... In Nehemiah chapter three, and ladies, of course, in your Bible study, you're going through the book of Nehemiah right now, you may recall in the third chapter, third chapter, they're building the walls, everybody's spread out, doing their job, but there was one group. They were called the Tekoites. And it says that the Tekoites, their nobles, didn't put their shoulder to the work. To me, that's a picture of just lagging. You're doing it, but you're not doing it enthusiastically. You're doing it because maybe somebody's watching you or maybe you know you just want everybody to see. Listen, serve the Lord diligently. This is, a, this is a virtue that's found in the person and the character of Christ that needs to be seen in us. Remember Jesus rebuked the church in Laodicea for their lack of fervency? When he said to them, you're neither hot nor cold. You're just lukewarm. And he said, if you're lukewarm, I'll... Vomit you out of my mouth. It's a rather startling picture. Lord, I don't want to drift back into the lukewarm. I don't want to become lethargic as it relates to serving you or lagging. Lord, I want fervency and diligence and enthusiasm. There are so many things that people are enthusiastic about and dedicated to that have no eternal significance whatsoever. I mean, a regiment, a schedule, you are so in it. But when it comes to serving the Lord, it's like, ah. there's gonna be somebody who'll be able to do it. But Lord, I wanna be that person. I I want to, to jump at the opportunity to serve you in the church, in my home, in my job, wherever it is, Lord, to be the servant. Fifthly, we see here as it relates to Christian virtue, persevering faithfully. It says here, if you look at verse 12, rejoicing in hope, Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Rejoicing, patient, prayerful. Rejoicing in hope. Folks, today we have hope in Christ. The Bible says we have been begotten again unto a living hope. And that hope is Christ. And for a Christian, it's not, oh, I hope so, but I'm not really sure. For us, It's an assurance. It's an absolute certainty of coming good. Thus, it is my hope. When I say I have hope, it means I I know it's going to happen. That is my hope. I have the hope of the return of Christ. I know he's coming again. I mean, these are the things that we hang on to. We have this anchor, the Bible says, of hope. And also, not only do we rejoice in hope, but we're patient in tribulation. We're to be rejoicing, not complaining, rejoicing in hope, but also we're to be patient in tribulation. This is difficult. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I'm not always patient in tribulation. I'm patient for the first five minutes, and then I'd like it to end quickly, sooner than, I. Lord, get me out of this. But here it says, I want you to be patient. It means to to persevere. And there is the need in, in the Christian life to have perseverance. There are things that we encounter as believers that we just, we just have to go through. You just have to persevere. We live in a fallen world. And I'm not saying it's easy. It actually can be very difficult. And there are some people in our fellowship right now, people who are in the hospital suffering through cancer, people who have been in recent accidents almost. I mean, there's been some, ama- just some tragic prayer requests that have been coming through the prayer chain recently of people who are enduring great hardship and they're patiently, steadfastly making their way through by the grace of God. And also, not only rejoicing, patient, but being steadfast in prayer. The Bible says that men ought always to pray, lifting up holy hands. The Bible says we're to pray and to believe when we pray. That we, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And we know that he hears us. We know that we have the things that we've asked of. To pray without ceasing, Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open unto you. The Bible tells us in the book of James that Elijah was a man of like passions, just like us. And yet he prayed and it didn't rain. And then he prayed again and it rained. There there is the, the need to develop and to grow in the area of prayer, communicating with God. Think about the privilege that we have to communicate with the God who created the universe anytime we desire from any place we are. And he hears us and he responds. How important, how impactful, how powerful is prayer? I think sometimes we forget and we think it's the last resort. Man, I've tried everything. What's left? Man, we should pray. You should start there. Last night, someone came to church and they said, uh, I have in my hand, I have a, a bone that is dead. Like, I didn't know that was possible to have a dead bone. I'd never heard of that before. And immediately when came up and told me the condition. I said, well, let's pray that we serve the God of the resurrection. Let's ask God to bring the bone back to life. I mean, I don't know if he's gonna do it or not, but I'm willing to, I'm I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask him to do it. I'm gonna ask him to bring healing to that, to bring life to dead things. Guys, listen, there is such power in prayer. Pray without ceasing. Pray consistently. Pick up the phone. Don't hang it up. Just, Just dialogue with him throughout the day. Be listening. Steadfast in prayer. Maybe there's things today that you've been praying about that you're, you're losing heart because you haven't seen answers come yet. That, that can be difficult because when you pray, you don't necessarily see things happening. But when you're doing something, you feel like, okay, I'm seeing it happening. But prayer is so powerful. May God teach us to pray. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. They realized the importance In addition, another virtue is that we are to give generously. Look at verse 13. Distributing to the needs of the saints, that's the believers, and given to hospitality. Maybe you've read the third epistle of John, third John. And you remember in the beginning of that epistle that John commends an individual in the church whose name was Gaius. And Gaius was hospitable. When believers would come into the church, he just welcomed them in, he took care of their needs, he ministered to them, he was hospitable, he was generous. That that should be something that is seen in the life of the believers here. And I want to say to you that this is, and many of these virtues are, in my opinion, seen throughout the body of Christ here. And this is one of them as well, the generosity of the believers, whether it's seen in shoeboxes being put together. I think we're somewhere around 15, I mean, we're close to 1,500 shoeboxes that have been put together by our church here, which is a blessing. In addition to that, ministering to the needs of the military and, and meeting every single need that was on the list and above and beyond that, thinking about the families that we have adopted here in the neighborhood, people just stepping forward and, and willing to, to be generous and to help and to assist to, to, to know, for me personally, to know that because of this fellowship right here, this church, that needs are being met around the world. Churches are being planted today because of the generosity of, of the people represented here. Children will be fed today because of the generosity of people here. Hospitals will be able to have internet to get information that they need quickly because of the generosity of people here. I mean, I, I could go on and on and on. This little fellowship, as it were, is reaching and meeting needs, not only here locally, but around the world. And it's a testament to God's faithfulness and fruit to your account. God bless you for that. Serving the Lord in that way. The Bible encourages us as it relates to hospitality. Hebrews chapter 13, verse two says this. This is a great verse. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers for in so doing, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, I've never seen an angel in my life. Well, only once. My wife, there it is. So that's it. Amen. But what I'm saying is, is she here? Is she here? Make sure and tell her. Let's see. Anyway, But you remember Jesus said, "Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. Ministering to the needs, hospitable, generous. Now that's how we're to be in the world, or actually in the church. Now he's going to talk about how we're to be in the world. In the church, love one another, serve one another. I mean, that, that's challenging in and of itself, but we, you know, we could do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. These are things that God can work into our lives. But now what about living in the world? What about outside these walls? What about people who don't agree with you? What about people that Jesus said they hated me, they're gonna, they're gonna hate you. A servant is not above his master. Don't think that it's gonna be easy out there. How, we, how, how do we live out there? Here's what he says. Verse 14, check this out. Here's a, here's a virtue. Bless those who persecute you and do not curse. We're to be meek. Bible says, "Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." We think meek. I can't be meek. I can't let people persecute me and walk over me. I gotta. I gotta respond. I gotta stand up for myself. Here it says, "When they persecute you, bless them." This is very similar to what Jesus said. You remember in the Beatitudes when he said, "You're to pray for those who would spitefully use you." The word "bless" here means to eulogize them, to speak well of them, to show kindness to them not cursing them, not responding, but turning the, other, turning the other cheek. You remember Stephen in the book of Acts, one of those dynamic deacons who the Pharisees, the religious leaders, stoned him. And as they were pelting him with rocks, do you remember, it says he looked up to heaven and his face was like the face of an angel. And he said, I, I see the Lord standing And as they were pelting him with rocks, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. I mean, that is an example. It's the same words that Jesus used when he was being crucified. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There is a a meekness. You're being persecuted. You might be hated. You might be ostracized. You might not be welcomed. And what is my response? Here it says I'm to bless them. That has to be a work of the Spirit in my life. This does not come naturally to me. Is there anybody in your life right now who despises you because you're a Christian, who hates you, who says terrible things about you or your family? How are you responding? Are you blessing them? Are you praying for them? I think of the one sermon that D.L. Moody spoke, and he, he pictured in this sermon the Lord Jesus after his resurrection encouraging Peter to go find the man who thrust the spear in my side and tell him that there's a quicker way to my heart. He told Peter, Peter, go and, and find the man who crowned me with thorns and tell him, I want to give him a crown of life. He said, Peter, go find the man who ripped open my back with a cat of nine tails and tell him that by my stripes, he can be healed. The response to bless those who persecute you. It says here also that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I would say in addition to being meek, this is sensitivity rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. You know, someone said people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care when you show them that you care by being sensitive to where they're at. If they're rejoicing, then you come alongside and you rejoice. If they're weeping then then you're mindful of the fact that they need to be comforted and you weep with those who weep. Whatever the need is, you seek to minister to that. You know, it's recorded in John's gospel that the first miracle that Jesus did, it was turning water into wine. There was rejoicing, it says, at the wedding. Jesus rejoiced with those that rejoiced. But then one of the last miracles that was recorded there in that gospel was at a funeral. And it says Jesus wept. It depended on the situation that he was in. He rejoiced with those who rejoiced, and he wept with those who wept. What about us? This is a virtue that is to be found in our lives. Sometimes I think, if we're honest, it's, it's easier to weep with those who weep. We find we can be comforting those who are company, but when somebody's doing well, when somebody's rejoicing, or they're doing better than we are, might be a little more difficult to rejoice. I'm not rejoicing with him. Hey, that's really that's awesome for you. I can't stand that guy. You make me sick. You know, you wait a second. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be sensitive. Meet them where they are. I was thinking of that quote by a Quaker pastor. He said this. He said, I prayed to God that he would baptize my heart into all conditions so that I might be able to enter the needs and conditions of all. Rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. Another virtue, verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own opinion. This to me speaks of humility. There there is, we're to be meek, we're to be sensitive, and we're to be humble. Not setting your mind on high things, but associating with the humble, wise in your own opinion. You know what it means to be wise in your own opinion? It means you're the authority on every subject, no matter what it is. You, you, are, you know everything, or you think you do. And every conversation, you have to have the last word. That's interesting you say that, you know, in my experience, I, and that's, you just, every, everything, what, you know everything? It's hard to be around people that think they know everything. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Be humble. Maybe do a little more listening. And not so much talking. Humility goes a long way in this world. Pe- people recognize humility. Not false humility, but, but genuine humility. Just an honest opinion. I know what I am. I know what I am in Christ. And I just, I, I want to walk humbly with the Lord. Not wise in my own opinion, but associating with the, with the humble. Are you a humble person? Am I walking in humility, following the example of Christ? And then in verse 17, he says, and repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it's possible, oh, that's the question. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men and don't avenge yourselves. Wow, this is difficult. Repay no one evil for evil. As believers were to be, you ready for this? Forgiving. You're never more like Jesus than when you're walking in forgiveness. Forgiving, to repay evil for evil. The natural bent is if somebody hurts you, I wanna, I wanna hurt them. I wanna hurt them twice as much as they hurt me. I want them to feel it double. That, By the way, did you know that in the Old Testament, that's why they have the law of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Did you know that? It was, it was basically a limitation on what you could do to another person. It's not two eyes for one. No, no. It's not one tooth, a whole set of teeth. That's not fair. It's an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. It has to be just in the retribution. But not repaying evil for evil. There are several examples of this in scripture. One that comes to mind is that of Joseph. You remember Joseph in the Old Testament? This guy that had a coat of many colors, he didn't ask for it, his dad gave it to him. And it set him apart from the rest of his brothers. And maybe he knew it. His brothers were out there laboring and he was out there wearing a coat. (laughs) They hated him. And not only did he have a coat, but he also had dreams. And he told his brothers his dreams. And his dreams, they included his brothers bowing down to him. So I could see how there could be a problem there. And they hated him. And so you remember what happened in Genesis. They took him and they threw him into a pit. And then rather than kill him, they sold him as a slave. And he was taken away from them. Went into, he became a slave. And he ended up in Potiphar's house. And God still was, the Bible says repeatedly, the Lord is with Joseph. The Lord is with Joseph. And even in Potiphar's house, the Lord was with him. But then he was lied about. And you remember that he was placed in a prison and the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. And then one day, everything changed. And I mean, everything changed. The tables turned and his brothers who had sold him into slavery, now they hit a famine and he had been elevated to the second most powerful ruler in the world. And it just so happened that one day, his brothers show up in Egypt looking for food and he recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. Here was the opportunity of all opportunities, poetic justice. I am going to wreck these guys. (laughs) That's the opportunity that he had, but he didn't. In fact, Jacob, when he was pronouncing blessing on his sons prior to his death, he was speaking about Joseph. It's right around Genesis 49. And in Genesis He was saying that Joseph, I'll give you the picture, that his brothers were archers and they fired at him. And yet it says that the hands of Joseph were made strong. It's a picture that is given to us that Joseph's brothers were the ones that fired multiple arrows and wounded Joseph. But when Joseph had the opportunity to fire back, it's as if the Lord's hands came over the top of Joseph's and restrained him from repaying evil for evil. And his brothers were concerned about it. If you read the narrative, you'll find that they would say, hey, um, Joe, just want to make sure we're cool because uh, dad said, you know, he, before he died that you were going to, and we don't want to make, is everything okay? We're sorry. You know, and Joseph, he constantly was reassuring his brothers, hey, listen, what you intended for evil, God has used for good. He forgave them. He did not repay evil for evil. Who in your life, has hurt you. Here's another question. Who have you hurt? Are you trying to repay them, evil for evil? Are you plotting right now? Oh, man, you wait. Christmas is coming. I'm going to stick it to them. They're not going to see their kids. See how they feel then. Are you repaying evil for evil? Or are you regarding good things in the sight of all men? It says, beloved, don't avenge yourselves. Give place to wrath. Because vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance isn't to be put in my hands. It's something that the Lord does. And he's supposed to take care of them. And he promises that he will. And he, he adds here in verse 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. You're like, yes, I knew there was a something. So if I feed him and I give him a drink of water, God will burn him? Is that what that says? Ha! <laughs> ah, I've been doing it wrong. No, it's not, it doesn't mean they're going to. What it means is prayerfully as you are doing the opposite of what's expected, man, the, the Lord's going to be working in their life. Don't, over, don't be overcome by evil, it says, but overcome evil with good. We, we can't overcome evil with evil, but we can overcome evil with good. You know what's amazing to me about all of these Christian virtues that are mentioned here in verses nine through 21? And it just dawned on me again. I mean, I know it, but, but as I was reading it again, I realized that these were written to believers in Jesus Christ. These are Christians, that are being exhorted to do these things, which implies that some of them obviously must have been struggling with these areas. And so Paul is reminding them, Hey, listen, this, this, this is how this, you know what it's like in the world, but this is how it's to be for you as a child of God. These are the virtues that are to mark your life as a follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like to live a Christian life. And as I look at this, Like we said at the beginning, I'm looking into the mirror and I'm seeing my reflection and I'm asking myself the question Am am I loving in sincerity or with hypocrisy? Am I abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good or am I drifting back into carnal and, and becoming more liberal? In my thinking, am I allowing the world to mold and shape my mentality or the Word of God? Um, am I kindly affectionate with brotherly love? Do I give preference to people? Do I put other people's needs before my own? Or do I put myself first? Do I put my wife first? or do I put me first? Um, am I lagging in diligence or am I fervent serving the Lord? Do, am I rejoicing or am I complaining about everything? Or am I rejoicing in hope? Am I patient in tribulation or am I impatient and angry? God, how come you're doing this to me of all people? Come on. There's many other people who should be going through this. <laughs> and here's a list for you. <laughs> or am I continuing steadfastly in prayer? Am, am I, just, I keep on I to persevere in prayer. I'm gonna keep praying. Um, Am I distributing to the needs of the saints? Am I I given to hospitality? Am I blessing people who are persecuting me or am I responding with anger? Am I setting my mind on high things? Am I the expert on everything? Am I full of arrogance and pride? Lord, I wanna walk in humility. Am I repaying evil for evil? Am I seeking to be a peacemaker? Am I trying to defend myself or am I gonna let you be my defense? Am I gonna try to overcome evil with evil or with good? When I see my reflection and I realize I can't determine in and of my own self and my own flesh to try to be virtuous in this way. What I what I can do is I can yield to the Holy Spirit. And I could say, Holy Spirit, work in me these virtues that don't come naturally to me. I, I need you to do this in my life. And as I yield to the Spirit, maybe even repent of things that the Spirit of God points out even this morning. Hey, you're not being loving in this way. Actually you're pretty bitter. And you know something else? You're you're pretty unforgiving it's pretty evident. And you're also critical. It's like, oh, oh, oh Lord, ah, oh, oh, I can't take it. <laughs> but there's good news. <laughs> and the good news is that the blood of Christ can cleanse us from all sin and the spirit of God can empower us to be all that we desire to be as we yield to him. So if the Lord's spoken to you today, hey, listen, this is my third time reading this. I'm like, I'm, I got one more time, I'm convicted. I'm like, yes, God, one more time, do it in me. <laughs> but as we yield, boy, what a, what a work the Lord does. He's, guys, he's so faithful to, to, he started the work, he's gonna complete the work. It's been rightly said, everybody could hang a sign over their neck that says under construction. Step back, <laughs> Keep away. Deep hole, stay back. I mean, it's just all of us are like that. Caution. But God's not done with us yet. There's so much that's been done and, and there's more to do. And one day it's gonna be, we'll be satisfied when we awaken his likeness, as the psalmist said. Father, I thank you so much for helping us to see, really, what it looks like to, to be a Christian. Lord, this is your desire for us. This is the the model, the example, the template. And Lord, thank you that it's your spirit that not only calls us to this, but enables us. Lord, we recognize today that, Lord, in and of ourselves, our natural tendency is to be selfish, to be prideful, to be unforgiving, to be vengeful but Lord, we've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer we who live, but Christ who is to live in us and through us. It's your life lived out through us. So Lord, have your way in us today. Those areas where we are deficient, Lord, you are our sufficiency. Lord, I just pray you'd speak to each one of us today. Thank you for your faithfulness. And your work in us. We're your workmanship created in Christ Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with us? So this week, hey, you'll have plenty of opportunity to allow the Lord to work these virtues into your life. You'll have opportunity today before you leave the parking lot. I guarantee it. Don't pull in front of me. Wait a second. I'm supposed to prefer others. (laughs) If you need prayer today, I encourage you to come up after the service. There'll be those up front that would love to pray with you. We'll be here. Any needs that you might have. If you're not a Christian today, if you simply know about Jesus, but you really don't know Jesus, friend, please, please do not leave. This isn't just some happy pep talk. This is, this is real life, and, and this is something that Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's a real heaven, there's a real hell, and Jesus died that you never have to go to hell. He offers you eternal life, forgiveness of sins. If you want a new life in Christ, do not leave today without praying to receive him. Your life will never be the same, and this room is full of people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel. And God wants to do that work in your life today. If you're at the end of yourself, well, that's when you come to the beginning of God's resources. And I pray that, that you're there so that God can do a new work in your life. So may the Lord bless you and keep you in Jesus' name.